All right, tonight we're going to be in Psalm 61 this evening, Psalm 61. I forgot to give you the title, Brother Cole. It's okay. Um, so, knew I forgot something. All right, I was busy getting pictures on there. All right, Psalm 61. I guess we're going to have to do our old school. I guess going to have to pay attention and take notes tonight. All right. Uh, Psalm 61. Uh, and the kernel of the idea uh, for this sermon... I first had 15 years ago, and uh, actually preached a similar type of message. Not really, it was more, I guess, maybe the idea of the message when I was in uh, Bible college and got up there. And it didn't go very well because I just didn't, you know, you know when you have a sermon idea and, and it just doesn't fit right together and because the Lord hasn't given you that peace yet. And uh, as I was preparing for this message tonight, the Lord said, this is how you're to use it. And so praise the Lord for that. So I was like, wow, five, 15 years later, finally have an answer uh, to that. And so the title of the message tonight is Standing in the Undertow. Standing in the Undertow. We live in a world today that is desperately trying to change how we think. Desperately trying to change how Christians think. And how do we protect ourselves from becoming affected by the culture around us, by being deceived by what we hear and what we see. And we all know people that have given in and gone the way of the world, that they have decided to believe the lies and that those things are for them, and they have turned away from following after the Lord. How do we avoid letting our culture that we are dealing with affect us? And the answer to that is we need to be standing on the rock of Jesus Christ. And tonight we're going to be in Psalm 61 in the first four verses. And standing in the undertow, I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean. Uh, I, I've been to the ocean many, many times. And if you've ever stood in maybe where the tide is coming in, you've said maybe you know, up to you know, your calves in there. If you stand there for a little bit, uh, after a little while you're not, and try and stand in one place, you can stand there for a little bit. But as the waves come in and go out, the sand under your feet begins to be eroded and begins to change. And eventually you have to shift your balance. Eventually you lose your balance. You have to shift your feet. And that's a great picture of what's going on. The shifting sands of opinion, the shifting sands of truth. We're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, shifting sands of all kinds of things. And that's what's going on in the world today. And how do we stand where we're supposed to be at when there's such this great undertow of things all around us? Now, if you do that same thing and you are standing on a rock, maybe um, if you've ever uh, stood in a river. I've been fly fishing many times and loved that. Uh, not in Texas, though. There's nothing in the... In a Texas river, I want to meet uh, in my bare feet or, or anything like that. Uh, you know, after you see an alligator guard, like, I'm good. I don't need to swim in there. Uh, you know, though they, you know, they, you know what they say. Well, they don't, they rarely, I hate it when people say, they, well, they rarely attack people and I'll be the one. Right, I'll be the one. Or there's a snapping turtle that'll take a toe or a finger off. Or I'm just one of those people. It's the worst case scenario. It's going to be me, you know, because it usually is, you know. Uh, it's it's going to be me that finds that one that one thing, or it's going to be me that finds the water moccasin, you know. Uh, you know, that's one thing living in the South. There's about 20 different ways that nature's trying to kill you. Uh, you know, I was talking to my kids. I'll never forget. We went up to Buffalo, New York. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Harvey's uh, his brother-in-law passed away, and we were all up there, and we went to a park. And I hadn't done this because I'm from New York originally. Hadn't done this in many, many years. I laid down in the grass. 
Uh, you can't do that here. Uh, unless you want fire ants or chiggers or something bad. Uh, right? I would lay down on the grass and, and my kids are like, Dad, what are you doing? The ants are going to get you. Said, There's no ants here. Uh, there's nothing that's going to bite you. You just lay in the grass. Like, oh, this is great. He actually lay in the grass. And it was cool enough to lay in the grass. Uh, and uh, my kids thought that was such a novel thing, laying in the grass. You know, they, you know, they see these books with the kids laying in the grass. Like, why don't we do that here? Like, well, you can at your own risk, you know. Uh, but uh, those types, even in Indiana, you could, had to be careful doing that because they have fire ants too. So uh, trust me, laying in a pile of fire ants is definitely not a good day. But standing in that undertow and fly fishing, you can stand in a river, stand on a rock. Even though the currents are going by you, you can stand firm on that rock. You're not going anywhere. You can keep your balance. You can fish, stand there for hours. Even though the currents are going by you, even though those things are pressing upon you, you can still stand your ground. And that's the picture I want us to have when we look at Psalm 61 tonight. If we could stand out of respect for the ring of the Word of God, Psalm 61, we're going to read the first four verses. And this is David. Speaking uh, about his relationship with God and how God kept him grounded. And that's what we need to have in our Christian life. We need to be grounded. And verse, verse number one begins, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, I pray that you would bless the message tonight, that you would give me wisdom as I preach, give me clarity of thought, and Lord, that we would trust in you and stand upon the rock that is higher than we are, and that we would not be moved and that we would not be moved by what's going on around us, Lord. It's so hard to see. It's difficult to even understand it. And Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct us tonight. I pray that you would give us wisdom and knowledge to stand and where we ought to stand. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Standing in the undertow. How do we stand in these troubled times? Well, there are three areas that I think we need to look at tonight and uh, different types of undertows. You know, when you're standing on the beach, you know, the currents aren't always going in the same direction. Some are coming at you like this. Some are coming from the side. They're swirling around, and that's how I think the best way to describe our world. Everything is swirling all over the place. But how do we keep it from changing us? Uh, because it very easily can and very quickly without us even realizing it. Even our thought process, how we think of things, how we view things can be very easily affected and quickly affected. And as I mentioned at the beginning, we all know people that they have let it affect them and has completely changed who they are and they no longer serve the Lord. Or they serve God in a way that suits them. And that's the day and age we live, serving God in a way that suits them. That's why we have the secret sensitive church. It's not about what you can do for the Lord, but what God can do for you. Uh, it's not about serving and loving God and serving him forever, but what can God do for me? What good deal can this church do for me? That's not the purpose of the word of God. That's not the purpose for the church. And that's not the purpose of our service to God. Remember, God is not lower than we are. He is mighty. He is high and he is lifted up. He is worthy to be loved and praised and served forever. That's the purpose of our life. But when we get to the place of where, well, I can want to just live for the, the here and now and live for right here. And so that's number one, the undertow of pleasure. 
the undertow of pleasure. Uh, we know that all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of flesh, and the pride of life. Uh, that's a temptation in that what we can do is we can begin to make decisions based on this. And when we hear the word pleasure, you know, we automatically think of immorality. There's a lot of things in life that uh, are pleasurable that we enjoy doing. That are, can I use the word fun? Right? And that is fun is a synonym of pleasure, things that are enjoyable to do. And is it wrong for us to have fun? No, but make sure it's the right kind of fun. Amen. And that's the key here. Uh, There's nothing wrong with Christians having good, wholesome fun. Amen. It's okay. We don't have to be drawn and, you know, we're not going to ever have fun. You know, know, we got to live like the Puritans, you know, and not have the scowls and and all of that. And by the way, the Puritans didn't have all those scowls and everything. They actually had, they played games and they had a lot of joy in their lives. Uh, So don't, that. remember, it's the world that depicts them that way. Amen. You know, the pilgrim stern face, you know. Uh, you know, people, uh, they've gone through great trial, but also they were very thankful to God for what he had done for them. So don't let that, um, and, and by the way, not all the pilgrims were Puritans. Remember that too. That's also kind of a false idea that the world likes to promote. Anyway, so uh, I digress. We don't need to go through a history lesson tonight. But the pleasure for the flesh, that's a problem when I get tired. I can go on a tangent here. So I'm trying to keep it focused here and get us out before 8 o'clock. And is it already 45? What happened? Was my introduction 20 minutes? No, I don't think so. That's all Glenn's. No. no. But, uh, no. Oh, that's why. We did the VBS thing. That's what happened. I was like, what happened to the time? I wasn't paying attention. It's not your fault, Glenn. Okay. I won't blame you then. But, uh, so it was just, uh, it was a joke. It's, you know. Yeah. Oh, right. he's offended now. No. But, uh, no, we have the, the, the VBS thing. All right. Now i got to hurry now. Whew. All right, here we go. So we have the pleasure for the, for the flesh, pleasure for the eyes, pleasure in the pride of our lives, what makes me happy. You know, everything today is for our comfort, isn't it? Whatever you go, you know, it seems to be every place you go uh, that uh, those uh, massage chairs, you know what I'm talking about? It seems every place you go and that's always where the kids' things are. I'm like, man, they know how to target the market. I mean, I've wasted more money in those things, you know. Uh, get, get in there and get my, you know, $5, get my 15-minute massage. My wife can't do it because, like, it squeezes the life out of you, I guess. But uh, those things, you know, everything today is for our comfort. Our, our vehicles are for comfort. They used to be to go from one place to another. Right? And now today, we will, cannot buy a vehicle that, I mean, it's, a, it's impossible. I mean, it's got to have MP3. It's got to have Bluetooth. It's got to have backup camera, backup. Man, that's a stone age if you don't have those things. You know, uh, you know, back in the day, we just were thankful it got, you know, man, it's got to get so many miles per gallon. It's got to go 10,000 miles. It's got to have the five-year warranty. You know, it's got to have all those things. Man, we live in the Stone Age if we don't have those things. By the way, nothing wrong if you have those things, but many people won't even buy, consider buying a vehicle unless it has all the options, unless it has the moonroof, unless it has all the things that are for our enjoyment. Let's be honest, everything in our culture today is geared towards our entertainment and enjoyment. Don't fall into the trap because if you fall into that trap of entertainment and enjoyment, you can get yourself in trouble. You can get yourself in trouble. And that's why do you think I mention all the time our entertainment choices? Well, that's just pastor's pet peeve. No, because that's what our strongest cultural pull is. 
That's what our strongest cultural pull is. It's about our entertainment. It's about, and by the way, you know, the battles with entertainment, what keeping good things out of your home. I fight that battle just as much as anybody else with our family and with kids. Kids want to watch things and do, and we have to draw lines and boundaries. Guess what? I have to do it just like everybody else does. So it's not just a battle that I think is particular to you. We all face that, but we all have to constantly be evaluating, is this drawing my family closer to God or is it taken away? Amen. And things that draw us away from God ought not be in our lives. Now, I mentioned video games a lot. Guess what? That used to be a thing, pull in my life, that pulled me away from God. That's why I preach on it. These things happen to me, and that can happen to you. Amen. I guess I'm just a, a unicorn then, right? That can't happen to anybody else, right? And I know a lot of people in churches, in this church, and other churches in the past that I've been at, that it can be a debilitating problem in their life. So why I do is I preach the counsel of God so that we stay away from those things that will draw us away. We should not be drawn away by our pleasure. It should not be a defining thing in our life. And this, can I just say this? Let's look at Revelation chapter 3 for a moment. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And can I say, I'm not saying this is a picture of our church. This can be any church, but I believe that these verses are the modern Christian church in general speaking today in a lot of churches, a lot of independent Baptist churches or different churches, you name it. This is the overarching idea that is behind churches today. Revelation 3, 15 through 17. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. They're comfortable. Right? Everything's for their enjoyment. I would thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, here it is, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Why is that? Because they have replaced the Holy Spirit of God with their programs. That they have replaced the presence of God and winning souls to Christ because that is the purpose of the church with outreach programs. There's nothing wrong with having outreach. The purpose of Vacation Bible School is to teach kids about the Lord is not only to lead them to Christ but also help them grow in their faith and to learn about the Lord. That's its purpose. That's the purpose of the church. But also the purpose of the church is individual confrontational evangelism. He that winneth souls is wise, the Bible says. But why are we unwilling to do that? Why is there such a problem in doing that? Here's why. It's not enjoyable. It doesn't further our enjoyment. It's uncomfortable. We don't like things that are uncomfortable. Man, you couldn't have lived in the 30s then. And the depression. My grandma lived through the depression. And she told us stories of what, had to, what took place in the Depression and, all, and, uh, and actually different ones of my family members. They had to move back in with their parents. I didn't realize my, my dad's parents had to move back in with his parents because they couldn't afford to live during the Depression. They lived together. A lot of families moved back together even though they had two and three kids and moved back with their parents. And so they tried to consolidate their finances so that they could survive. What would happen to people today? I mean, people would, I mean, it would be a disaster today with a lot of different people. Why? Because it's not for your enjoyment. And a lot of churches are this way. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. 
Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They've been sold a counterfeit and they take it. The devil has sold them a counterfeit. The world has sold them a counterfeit. And they believe they have what they need. But in the end, they are spiritually destitute. It's not what God would have. Because they are not hiding in the rock. As it says here, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Instead, they are looking for things lower than them to keep them happy. And in the end, it will not satisfy. So we need to be careful of the undertow of pleasure. Number two. The undertow of post-truth. It's okay, preacher, what is post-truth? Maybe you've heard that phrase before. I've actually never defined it before. Uh, but post-truth, here it is. This is we live in uh, the time of a post-truth age. Like, what in the world does that mean? Uh, relating to, here's the definition, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts, okay, Objective facts, observable facts, common sense facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So this is where the relative truth comes in. Well, what's truth for me is not truth for you. Truth is my experience. My experience trumps, your, trumps facts. That's what critical race theory is built on. And this is the idea of post-truth. It doesn't matter. You can talk to somebody to the blue in the faith and give, give them all the facts and all the history that America is not systemically racist and go through all the, go down the line. You can give them all the facts and they said, it doesn't matter. My experience is this and that's what I'm going to believe. That's post-truth. So how, and, you, and you're like, well, how in the world do you show someone what the Bible says and say the Bible is absolute truth? That's why they reject the Bible. They said, you can't have absolute truth. It's not possible. That's the philosophy of today. You can't have absolute truth. And can I tell you something? There are some Christians that are starting to believe this junk. And that, well, you understand what I'm saying. And by the way, it's nothing but a ploy of the devil to take away the authority of the word of God. That's all it is. And that, well, I understand what you're saying. And that preacher believes that. I'm so glad you believe that. That's truth for you. But I believe what my experience is. I believe this. That is not what the Bible says. If the Bible says something opposite, but my experience and my personal belief, that's, that's going to shape how I view God. That's going to shape how I worship God. That's going to shape how I live. But then you are becoming the definer of truth and not God. God is truth and his word is truth. It is absolute. It is the absolute law of the universe. And we have to understand, this is creeping into our theology, that there is no absolute truth about God, that we can have different interpretations of God. You know, that the, you know, the, the God of the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses or of the Muslims, you know, it's all one God anyway. It's one supreme being. I'm sorry, they don't worship the same Jesus we do. They don't worship the same God that we do. No matter how many times people say it, does it make it true? Mormons believe that God is a created being who was, a, who was like us at one time, but he ascended up to this place. Now he's the Lord, and he created Jesus and Satan at the same time, that Jesus is a created being, which goes in direct contradiction to the Holy Scriptures. That Jesus has always been, and God always has been, and always will be. He is the beginning and the ending, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And that salvation is through works, which the Bible also says is by what? Grace through faith. Not of works, any man should boast. There are no absolute truths of God. Here's another idea. That the truths of the past are not the truths of the day. 
Well, that's how they applied the Bible back then, preacher, but that's not how we apply it today. It was true back then, but it's not true now. And take away the eternality of God's Word. That it is eternal, and we're going to get to relevance here in a minute. But it's that, well, it was true then, but it's not as true now. That the truths of the past are not applied to today. That's why do you have the pre- they're throwing out the preachers of the past because, well, that was true back then, but it's not true today. If they're preaching the Bible, it's true today as much as it was back then. And there have been preachers over the last 30, 40 years that said, this day is coming. And everyone looked at them. Well, you're just a conspiracy theorist. You know what? It's, you're a conspiracy theorist until it happens. Amen. Okay, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist person. I'm not. I'm just waiting to see what's going to happen with all this UFO stuff. You just wait. You just wait. A lot of people believe that's going to be the entrance for the Antichrist possibly. I don't know. I'm not getting into all the weird stuff, okay? But I'm just wondering, scratching my head, what? always ask this question. Why are they telling people these things? There's always a reason. I know there's a great, you know what, I am a conspiracy theorist. There's a conspiracy of the devil to destroy the works of God. That is the great conspiracy. Uh, but all of these things, and I always ask my question, by the way, whenever you see the news telling you something, ask the question, why are they telling me this? There's a reason they're telling me this. There's always an agenda. I don't care if it is conservative or liberal. Everybody's got an agenda now. There's very few impartial news people that just tell you what happened. Uh, even, okay, I'm sorry, Fox News has a bent. They don't tell the truth about everything either. Everybody's got a bent today, which is a sad thing. Instead of just telling what really happened and the truth about things. You know, CNN has their bent, NBC, ABC, all these people. They all have their own bent and their own agenda. For a reason. And you know what? There are groups of Christians. There are churches that have an agenda. Therefore, they present truth according to what they think truth should be. We need to get back to the Bible. If the Bible says it, let's believe it. That's the end of it. And that's the only way you're going to stand in these troubled times. We're living in a dark day. As a song we just sang uh, for the choir, we live in the dark day. The only way you're going to make it through is to stay placed in one place, and that's in God. In His Word. To stay true. To stay planted there. This is what I believe, and nobody can change my mind about it, because God said it. If you have, well, I'm not really sure, then you better get sure, because if you are unsure, then your mind can be changed. You can be influenced and your mind changed, whether you want it to be or not. And there's going to come a time, I'm telling you, the Bible tells us there's going to be coming a time where there's going to be a showdown between truth and error, and we're going to have to decide, are you going to stand with the Bible and with God? And if you are, then this is what's going to happen to you. Are we ready for that day? I'm afraid that most Christians today are not ready for that. Because we have not had to face that in several generations and and we haven't had to face persecution in the United States in a couple of hundred years and I don't think people are ready for it. When a pastor in Canada, I don't know if you heard about him, he was in the news again today, that he's been arrested because he refused to follow COVID lockdowns and then also, you know what, you know what he got arrested, no, it really got arrested for us because they had the whole, uh, the truck blockade up there last year, and he preached to them, and he preached for them. That's what really got him in jail. That's really what it was all about, because he wasn't politically correct, and he was preaching about freedom and liberty in Christ. Oh, that wasn't popular. So Trudeau made sure he went to, went to jail. 
Uh, by the way, if you don't know anything about Justin Trudeau in Canada, that guy's scary. Probably one of the, you know, you think Putin's scary, Trudeau's scarier to me because he's doing a lot of things in Canada. We have laws now that you can't preach against sodomy because that's conversion therapy and you go to jail for five years. That's happening in the UK now as well. And guess what? It's happening in Michigan now. It's coming, coming this way. So me getting up and preaching a message on sodomy during Pride Month that I can go to jail and be fine because it's forced conversion therapy and it's hate speech. It's coming. Thankfully, there are still some representatives and senators that are standing against these things saying, no, this is not what we want in America. And perhaps the time will be pushed back. I don't know. But can I just say this? This is dangerous theology and it is popular, especially the truths of the past do not apply to today because it appeals to the pattern of the first point we looked at. It fits into what suits me. It suits me. And then what we do is we create a God that suits us that does not reflect the God of the Bible. We have a Jesus that is fashion. We see the, uh, the Jesus that loves us no matter what, doesn't care if we sin, wants us to come as we are, leave as we came. I'm sorry, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. They have created a false Christ for themselves because it suits them. And there are too many Christians today that have a Christ and a God that suits them instead of the God and the Christ of the Bible. God has ordained, and here, but how do we stand? Well, the first is the rock of Jesus Christ, but also how do we, especially in this time of post-truth, is through his true church. God has ordained the church. Let's not diminish this. God has ordained the church to be the bulwark of God's truth. 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long, and thou mayest know how those ought to behave thyself in the house of God. Here it is, which the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. It's our job to preach God's truth. That's the job of the church. And there are too many churches that don't do that because it might, not, it might offend somebody. And we wonder why our country is in such a state. But there are still churches out there. Don't think that we're alone out there. There are other churches that preach the word of God. They're still there. But can I tell you, their numbers are greatly dwindling very quickly. Well, why is that? Because there aren't young men that want to take a stand. A lot of these pastors are getting old. They're retiring or their churches are closing because they, there's no one to take them. Because, oh, that pastor is too hardline. And they, these pastors won't turn it over to a young man because they can't find one that's going to stick by the stuff. And so the churches dwindle and they die. And that's happening at an alarming rate. Because young men won't surrender to the Lord and do what he wants them to do. That's the long and the short of that. Matthew 5, 13. Of the ones I graduated with, very few are serving the Lord today. I had a, I had a, size of, I had a class of about 50 and there's very few. I know about three. Maybe there's more. I don't know all of them, but I know many of them that have gone by the wayside and have gone into this post-truth and gone into all these weird things. But Matthew 5, 13, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth what? Good for nothing, to be kept, but to be cast out and to be trod under foot of men. And there's too many churches in America that are good for nothing. 
and there's too many Christians that have lost their salt and their light. They've lost their savor. They're not willing to speak up for Christ or unwilling to speak up for the truth. Instead, they will live a life that suits them. You're not standing anywhere. You're just moving with the sand. And by the way, when you, you'll get to a place, you'll wake up one day just as the prodigal did. He'll come, you'll come to yourself and say, how in the world did I get here? Because he didn't stand on the rock that doesn't move, and that's the word of God. That's Jesus Christ. He doesn't move. He doesn't change, but if you follow the winds and changes of Christendom, of, of a church culture, then you're going to be in a place where you don't want to. Ever wonder why that you know churches are shifting? You know, it seems every year they get they get a little bit more inclusive. They get a little bit more. I guess we call it liberal, but they're incorporating more and more of the world's things. You know why? Because they're not standing on this. Uh, but what happens? Too many churches, they're looking at each other. Well, as long as I'm more conservative than that one, I'm good. You know, as long as I'm the most conservative church in town, and that's, I can say, and a lot of Christians do that. That is a dangerous trap to get into. You're to please God, not just please yourself. And, you know, I want to please God more than those people over there. How about you please God to the, to the place that God wants you to please him? Instead of just as long as you're pleasing him more than your people that you're comparing yourself to. If you do that because the world is on a downward trajectory and the world, if we compare ourselves to the world, well, I'm doing a lot better than the world is. And by the way, just standing where you're at, you're going to be also labeled more and more and more extreme. Yeah, but we look at the world and we're like, you're the ones that are extreme. You know, denying that men are men and women are women. I mean, that's extreme. But that we're called the extremists because we're not going anywhere. But they're going... They've, 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 you know, it's not a downward slope. They're off the cliff. But we're the extremists, though. Instead, they're the ones that are going extreme. So get used to being called an extremist if you want to stand with God and His Word. Because that's what we're labeled today. Get used to it. Wear it as a badge of honor. Don't get too crazy. Because you can get crazy with stuff. Amen. You all know what I'm talking about. But you can take things too far farther than God intended us to take it. And then number three. So first, the undertow of pleasure. Second, the undertow of post-truth. Third, the undertow of irrelevance. The world wants to tell us that we do not have relevant answers for today. That what's going on out there, violence, the problems with the family. But they say there is no problem with the family, by the way. That's what they say. Oh, there's big problems with the family today. You know, that the Bible, that you Christians, you know, you just live by your old little dusty book and your little dusty, your, your nice little stained glass churches, and you don't have an answer for today. And you know what? A lot of churches and Christians have bought that. You know, well, we'll just live our faith. You know, they don't want to hear it, so we're not going to say it. Can I say something? This is not the time to say, well, if they don't want to hear it, we're not going to say it. This is time to trumpet it aloud because someone's going to hear it and going to want to hear it. There's not the time to be quiet. This is the time to speak up. And that's what you're doing. If you're just going to be silent, well, I'm just going to live my faith in silence. First of all, you're being disobedient to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who said, speak up and be salt and light. And like a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither hide your light under a bushel, and because it's to give light to all that are in the house, right? Not in the house, only in the house of God, but those around you. Shine the light. Time to speak up. But here's the question. How do we handle the LGBTQ plus whatever alphabet soup crowd out there today? And by the way, and their sick agenda being crammed down America's throat right now. What do we do about that? How do we handle that? Just simply stand on the truth of God's word. It'll never change. 
Amen? It'll never change, it'll never change that sodomy is an abomination. God's not going to change his mind about that. It's a very serious thing to God. It was so serious, he wiped a whole three cities off the face of the earth and, and completely decimated an entire valley to be an example to mankind. This is what I think of that. Not only that, but also their idolatry. What was their idolatry? They, idolat- they were idolaters to pagan gods, but also what did they, they idolized man themselves. That's what Romans 1 tells us. They worship the creature more than the what? Creator. God will never change his morality for man's sin. He's never going to change his moral law. He's never going to change that. Amen. That's never, you're not going to wake up one day and God change his mind about immorality, about living together, about fornication. He's never going to change his mind about that. Amen. He's never going to change his mind about lying or telling the truth. He's never going to change his mind about that. But people are waiting, seems to be waiting for him to do that. Christians hoping, well, maybe God will change his mind to make our lives easier. But if you have that thought process, eventually you're going to change your mind about those things. And have a God that suits you. You know what? God's never going to change on that. We can stand on that. Why? Because he says it. It says, I change not. And the Bible, can I tell you this? Do we believe it though? We can say it all day long. You know, we get up as preachers and we say it and we preach it and we believe it. And you hear it, but do you believe it? This is the question. That the Bible is as relevant today as it was when it was written. 2,000 years ago for someone, farther back than that for other parts of it. It's as relevant today. It has the answer for today. And you know what? That wasn't even a question not so many years ago, but a lot of Christians, they don't really, well, I don't really know. And I understand you say that, preacher, but is that really true? But you know why? Because you've been told it so many times you believe it. Because that's what the world says. The devil wants you to think that. You know why? Because then if you believe that, you'll never stand on it. Can I just tell you something? The Bible's always worth a hill going and dying on. Amen. Amen. It's always worth going and taking a stand and fighting the fight and die on that hill if you have to. It'll always be worth it. But a lot of Christians today say, I don't think it's worth it because I don't really know. You know why? Because you've let a lot of the devil's lies into your mind and into your heart. And you need to get into it yourself. I believe it because it's what it says. You know, do we remember that men have died defending the word of God? Men have died to bring the Bible to us in the English language. They, have di- they gave their life. They believed in it so much they would not uh, move off of it. Many people have heard of Sir Thomas More in England back in the 1500s. And he stood by his conviction to God. I understand he was Catholic. But he stood by the Bible. He would not agree with the king divorcing his wife and marrying another. He would not agree with that. And he was beheaded because of it. Because he refused. He was a lord and he refused to go along with it. He was beheaded. He was made a saint for it. Are we willing to take a stand that way? He had such a moral conviction for what the Bible said and a moral conviction from the Lord that he would not go along with matter if the king even said it. And this is John Wycliffe and the others and John Knox and these that they refused to be moved by the culture, to be moved by authorities. This is what God says and I will die for it if so be. Do we have that kind of resolve today? 
Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. The same man fall upon, fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick. This is interesting. We know for this verse, for this quick and powerful, but listen to the first verse, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of what? Unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That sounds like relevance to me. You know, we look at, well, the answers for this, really what the Bible does, it gets down to the core of the issue instead of all the side issues. The world wants us to deal with the side issues, and we deal with the core issue, and the issue is sin. The issue is people need to be saved. Amen? And it's becoming more and more popular to doubt its relevance today in the church. That is why they're turning to the world's methods of psychotherapy, of tolerance, you name it. They'll go down the world's route. Oh, this is must be, the world must have the answer. Can I tell you something? The world doesn't have the answer for anything. That's why they're in a mess. They don't have answers. And the, some of them will be honest enough to say they don't have the answer. But I say, well, we have an answer for you. It seems their answer changes every year, doesn't it? Now, what's the answer? Oh, yeah, just, let's just give you some drugs and mutilate your body and make you feel better about yourself and about your uh, dysphoria or whatever. That's what it is. Oh, let's just mutilate your body and destroy what God made. That'll make you feel better. That's, that's their answer they have. It's ludicrous and it's crazy and it's sick, but what does the Bible gives us the answer? In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we can have liberty and freedom and value and belonging in him as he intended it. Amen. That's why when you have compassion on these people, they're confused. They're confused. They are so confused. They have been taught so many things. And this is what bothers me, is that there are people that are preying on that confusion to push their own set of beliefs. You know, minors that go through these things, they're preyed upon. You know, have you ever been a young person? Have you ever been confused about anything in your life as a young, as a teenager? Oh, yes, we've all been. And guess what? They prey on that confusion. They say, well, you really need to be this or that. You need to be, you know, lesbian. You need to be gay. You need to be all of these things. That's a preying on young people, and it's sick, and it's wrong. Instead of we need to be reaching them with the gospel to be saved. Do we have doubts that the Bible's relevant? I pray that we don't. Is the Bible relevant to guide your life, to guide your marriage, as we've been learning about on Sunday morning, to guide your family and raising your children, to guide your morality, to guide your business decisions, to guide your spiritual growth? Is God's word relevant to do that, to deal with the issues you will face, your financial struggles? Is God's word able to do that? And he said, well, of course, the Bible is able to deal with my salvation and my spiritual. That's not what I just said. People believe the Bible is good for their spiritual life. Past that, 
Nah, the Bible's not really relevant for that. The Bible is relevant for every area of our life. If you want to know how to manage your money, read the book of Proverbs. There's more. There's so much about money in there. You want to know how to run a business? Read the book of Proverbs. You don't want to know how to be honest? Read the book of Proverbs. You know, the Proverbs is great for many uh, wonderful things. We, how do we know how to be saved? How do we know our theology? Not only spiritually speaking, but living practical day-to-day life. How do we do battle with the devil? You know how to do that if you're going to make it in the Christian life. The Word of God is relevant for that if we will take the lessons from it. So tonight, if we're to win the battle, then we must have complete confidence in our commander and his methods. Is Jesus going to win? He already won, but there's still a battle afoot and he wins. On a daily basis, it's possible to have the victorious Christian life. But if you have doubts about who he is and what he wants you to do, and you're unwilling to submit to him, unwilling to submit your methods, you're on your own. And I tell you something, the world and the devil will grind you up like a meat grinder. And you're going to come out the other side of it. Oh, man, I wish I just had trusted the Lord Jesus and trusted his word. I wish I had just followed. I wish, I wish, I wish. I'm tired of hearing people say, I wish I had instead of do it. Look at the shattered lives around you. Don't doubt, but trust him. Let him be the rock that is higher than you. Take cover in his wings like David did. And it will protect you from the shifting sands on the outside. Will you stay true to who God wants you to be? Not what the world wants you to be. Not what you want to be. Because that's another struggle. But who God wants you to be. God has made you special. God has made you unique. And who does God want you to be? Don't let the world shape you into its image. But be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Strive to be like Christ in everything that we do and live by his methods. So what will we decide? If you made the decision already, what are you going to do about what's going on outside? Are we going to be salt and light or are we just going to let it happen? It'll never stop if we just let it happen because God has given us the responsibility. Yes, God is almighty. God is all powerful and God can do what he wants. You know what? He's already told us what he wants us to do. What is God going to do about it? He's told you. We just don't like the answer because it puts the responsibility on us. And we don't want the responsibility. We want it to be all God's responsibility. Yes, God is all power and all might. But you know what? Isaiah saw God high and lifted up. And if you don't want to volunteer for God, then you don't have a proper view of God. Because when Isaiah saw it, he said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. I will. If you will have me, I will do it. When we get a humble view of God and a view of who God is and we see him high and lifted up like he's supposed to be and we as low and worms before him, yet he loves us and he sent his son to die for us, we would only say, Lord, if you'll have me, I'll go and do it. If you'll have me, he'll take you. I wonder why he took me. I don't know. I know myself. But he has. You know, ever wake up and say, Lord, why in the world did you pick me for this? I have no idea. If I was looking down, I wouldn't pick myself. But yet God uses the weak things and the foolish things of this world to confound the, what, the wise. 
instead of looking at yourself, well, I'm not able to do that. I don't have the gifts. I don't have that. You don't have to have all of that. Just be willing to serve. And God is going to use your simpleness and your foolishness to confound the wise. Stop looking like you have to have a resume. Be God. God doesn't care about your resume. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care how smart you are or how fast you are or whatever. He cares about are you willing to humble enough. Usually when you bring God the resume, he says, I can't use you because you're not humble enough to listen. You want to do it your way. Follow my methods. Doesn't how many degrees you have on the wall, how much knowledge you have, how much life experience you have. God doesn't care about that because he got you trumped every single time. The God of all eternity, of all mighty and all knowledge. But he wants us to serve him, though. And that's the amazing thing. Ever wonder why? I don't have an answer for that. Maybe ask him one day, why did you pick me to do that? And by the way, the job he has for you to do, only you can do. And we think, well, somebody else can do it. No, God made you for it. And we wonder why. He said, well, it seems like, you know, preacher, when we look outside, it seems like God is losing. No, God's not losing. God has a plan, and God's going to win in the end because God is sovereign. He'll win in the end. But you know why we're losing right now? Because we won't listen. Because there's, it seems to be few and far between young people or adults that will just stand up and speak the truth like they ought to. It seems to be a rare thing. It didn't used to be. It didn't used to be a, a rare thing. But we've let the undertow erode our position. We need to get back to that firm and solid position. What if someone's upset with me? Can I tell you something? I would worry less about who's upset with you instead of, Lord, are you pleased with me? And if we're not fulfilling the responsibility God's given us, if we're not being the husband and wife we need to be, if we're not being the parent we need to be, if we're not being the witness that we, if we're not being the witness we need to be, it is God who is displeased with that. Maybe the world's pleased because they want you to be quiet. But are we pleasing our Savior? Is He going to be able to say, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant"? If we're honest with ourselves, I think myself, man, He's not going to be able to say that uh, because I, I know myself. We know his mercy and his grace. So you know what that does? They say, well, I just give up. No, I just need to strive harder to serve him and to do my absolute best that I know how to do. That's all he asks. He doesn't ask for a superhuman effort. He just asks for you to do your best for him. And he takes care of the rest. He enables you. He trains you. So tonight, we you serve him. I know many of you do, but maybe some of you are on the fence right now. Well, and God wants you to serve in a bigger way, in a greater way, in a fully surrendered way. Do it. He's worthy of that. Let's pray.